Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theater writer and dramaturg. I'm Jenna Poff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theater Company, and this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 32 of Theater Forward. Yay! (laughs) So this week's conversation is going to be about making theater and staying connected in the age of COVID-19. We really wanted to use this conversation as a chance to shine a spotlight on some of the incredible things that we have seen our colleagues around the country doing in the weeks since, you know, most of America started staying home to help slow the spread of this pandemic. And, you know, I should note that this uh, podcast recording is not coming from our fancy schmancy, and it's not fancy or schmancy, uh, studio in the Forward Theater offices, but once again, being recorded from all of our homes. So we apologize in advance for any background noise you may hear from any of our family members or pets during the recording of this episode. Um, but, you know, I, I know that I have been while obviously this is a very hard time, we are all dealing with great difficulties in our own businesses, in our personal lives, in our industry, and just as a, as a country and a world, um, there have been some incredible rays of light uh, of creativity and connection happening in the theater industry. And, and I am excited to talk about some of our favorites. Um, Julie, why don't you kick us off? Do you have something that you've particularly appreciated or enjoyed? Well, these are not necessarily my colleagues that I know well, but boy, did I like that Sondheim 90th oh birthday. My, uh, and the thing is... We're all bowing down. That Peter is going to be great. We know that um, the Meryl Streep and Christine Baranski and um, Audrey McDonald was going to be hilarious. But there were people that I, I knew of that I was reminded how beautiful they are. Um, Elizabeth Stanley, who's now doing um, Jagged Little Pill. I actually, like I had, I didn't watch it live. I watched it the next day and I had to stop and look her up and what else has she done and what's coming up. And every bit of it was just, it was heartening. It was beautiful. It shows you the enormity of talent that is out in this world. And it made me so, so happy. I, I for some context for anyone who doesn't know, so this was the Take Me to the World uh, concert event that was streamed in celebration of Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday. Um, they were theoretically streaming it live on Sunday night, the 26th of April. Those of us that were um, trying to tune in to watch it live, it was, it was, I thought it was an example of the absolute best and the absolute worst of trying to do theater in an online world because they had unbelievable technical difficulties. It was about an hour and 20 minutes late that they actually got it started. It was so heartbreaking. I felt flop sweat for every single staff person that had to have been scrambling trying to get the thing up on air. But my God, it was so good and worth every second of it. I mean, yes, Elizabeth Stanley and all of the obvious ones you mentioned, um, Julie, but I, there were so many of those scenes that moved me to tears. I thought Katrina Lenk's um, version of Joanna from Sweeney Todd was incredible. Um, 
someone in a tree from Pacific Overture oh, yes. Yes. was maybe one of the greatest things I have seen ever. I think I will remember that for the rest of my life, seeing these four incredible Asian American actors telling the story and the way they used the Zoom format to do it yes. was so skillfully and smartly done. Um, oh, it just reminded me anew of why I love Sondheim and why I love theater. Mike, did you, I know you watched it too. Did you have any particular favorite I'm getting bit? goosebumps even just listening to the two of you talk about it. I cried a river um, <laughs> watching that that night. I mean, at first I cried a river because of the hour that we had to wait while they figured out the technical difficulties. I felt so sorry for Raul Esparza. Uh, but then yeah. once they got that worked out, there were so many moments. I'm tearing up even right now. Thank God this is not going to be televised. Uh, thinking about it. But the ones that really sent me uh, were Mandy Patinkin in the first half and then Bernadette mm. Peters toward the end. Mm. Um, and both of whom, as was true of so many of the moments in that evening, reminded me that with Sondheim as with Shakespeare, he's always ahead of us. He's always ahead of us. He'll be, he's, he'll be ahead of people 300 years from now. And the number of those songs that seemed as though they spoke directly to this moment because of the emotional honesty um, that is just at the core of everything he does and how well he understands the horror and also the greatness and awesomeness of being human right now. Uh, it's, it's just incredible. And, and that, that is by far for me, Julie, I'm glad you started with it. I, I've seen a lot of, and listened to a lot of awesome stuff in the last month, but that, that for me is the, is the tops. It was, it was so good. And yes, Mike, I was with you. I was, my heart was just breaking into a million pieces for Roel, who's hosting it and had done so much work to put this together. And then to have that kind of technical challenge is so painful. And especially when the, the, what he created was so incredibly stunning. I had the privilege, I got to, I directed him in a reading of a new play. Oh God, it was probably 20 years ago now at second stage in New York. Um, and he's, um, he was brilliant then. I got to see him a couple of years ago. I went to the Kennedy Center because he was doing um, a revival of chess with uh, Karen Olivo, Forward Zone Karen Olivo. And I went and saw that. And, you know, he's, he's a remarkable talent and a remarkable human. And so I'm so grateful that the end product was as genius as it was and as being celebrated for being as good as it is, because otherwise it probably would have been hard to overcome the, uh, the technical issues that they had. Yeah, Julie, you kicked us off with a really, really good one. It was good. And how wonderful that um, if people haven't seen it yet, they can see it. You know, I mean, that is in the ephemeral nature of theater. Um, it's one of the, the shining lights of, of being able to do this now, of having, of having something that is watchable at any time. So that's, um, you know, something good that's coming out of all of these Zoom meetings. Yeah. So that's an example of something really magnificent that just a group of independent freelance artists put together on their own, you know, both to pay tribute to one of the true legends in our field, Stephen Sondheim, but they also did this as a fundraiser for A-Step, Artists Striving to End Poverty, which is a great artist-led nonprofit organization. Um, I've also been really struck by some of um, the theater companies uh, and especially thinking about the nonprofit regional theaters out there that I think have been really stepping up and leading the way in showing how 
how a theater company can respond quickly and nimbly and intelligently and compassionately to these changing circumstances, these shifting sands. I mean, we've talked quite a few times already about um, our neighbor and colleagues um, at Milwaukee Rep. I wanted to give a shout out to Arizona Theater Company um, and their artistic director, Sean Daniels, and his team there. I've been watching what they've been uh, doing over this last month, and it's really creative and exciting. Um, They've, on their website, now created this entire um, thing they're calling their digital backstage. And they have different rooms with different kinds of online content. They've got a green room and a rehearsal room and a classroom and a black box. And so they're doing readings of plays and they're doing educational things and they're doing a podcast and they're doing um, conversations with artists about upcoming shows and just all kinds of different content to keep their audience and their artists engaged. And I just love how smartly they've organized that content and and how they're sharing that with um, with their community. And then for those of us farther away who normally wouldn't engage with the artistic product of a company from a region that is not our own, um, that they're an example of, I think, some really, really smart thinkers out there. One of the things that I'll stay on the, in the West with you, Jen, that I'm seeing is thinking about uh, thinking about theater in terms of the ear rather just uh, in terms of the eye. I mean, the eye is the sort of, um, that's the quick candy that we all love. That's the, that's the thing with which we devour whatever we're seeing. And, and I'm not trying to take away from it. There's nothing like live theater, right? But I think that we're exploring as we are being forced to strip down the power of the ear um, and what it can do and what, what it can do to plays. And two places I'll call out, well, I guess one on each coast, but I'll start in the West. I think Magic Theater is hitting it out of the park uh, with this series that they have called Far Apart Art. They're very short, usually five to seven minute um, podcasts. Uh, the first 20 were done with different playwrights who work with them. Um, and now they've just started a new series with actors and designers. What's great about them is it's just, the playwrights who have done this so far, they're talking about what they're writing right now and what they're thinking. They're also talking about the different ways in which they feel vulnerable. These are not sort of monologues. These are not trying to be plays. Um, These are just people talking about their lives, Um, but they've been very moving. And, you know, and maybe I'm just crying a lot because I'm about to say a couple of them have moved me to tears too, including a couple by playwrights that we've seen at, at forward theater. Um, uh, or will see soon, Joshua Harmon has a heartbreaking uh, piece involving uh, a friend of his who's died of COVID-19 and as well as a lot of other things. And then Liz Duffy Adams, who whose play Or we saw here a number of years ago uh, and who is writing from an attic in, in uh, somewhere in Massachusetts and says it's bringing out the Joe March in her. Uh, <laughs> but they're just these beautiful moments that because they're done just orally, uh, give you this this different sort of intimate feel that you don't have through 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 Zoom. They they make the, the writers feel almost closer. And then on the other coast, at Playwrights Horizons. Now this was actually something that Playwrights Horizons had started working on before the pandemic, but they have they're laying down every other Thursday um, a new play. And the first one that they did um, by Heather Christian called Prime, which is the hour of the morning um, in a Catholic sort of or religious monastic order in which you first meditate on the day. She has a 10 song song cycle 
that is so glorious and amazing. It's about 38 or 39 minutes long with some sort of spoken stuff in between uh, in which she talks about what it's like to just get up and, and tackle the day and think about what it's like to live a day. And she's got a, a line in it that just so speaks to this moment, even though it was written before it, saying, I'm not going to lie and tell you it's going to be okay, baby. But if we can get through today, it just might. I'll tell you, I heard that and I was just, that was it. You know, I was, I was gone, but there are moments like that. And then there's another one by Robert O'Hara, which is an old fashioned kind of like mystery play, which is just really fun and also really funny. And I won't give away what happens with that because it's just, it's awesome. And it's like 20 minutes or 25 minutes. So they're, they're nicely sized. Um, but they are reminding me of the ways in which this moment for all its downside is pushing ingenuity and in how people think about theater and the kinds of things that we can create. And we're learning new things through this that are very, very exciting for, and that I am sure will impact the kind of art we make when we come out the other side. I love that. I also wanted to shout out, going back to the West Coast, um, the Geffen Playhouse, which has rebranded itself the Geffen Stayhouse for the for the current times, um, they've been doing these fun uh, little online videos where they have asked artists that work with their company to create from their own homes little film plays. And oh my God, they got Catherine Hahn and her family. They did a little snippet from Glengarry Glen Ross by David Mamet using American Girl dolls to act it out. Um, I, I mean, people who listen to this podcast know that I have complicated feelings or maybe not so complicated about <laughs> David Mamet to begin with, but I don't want to ever see his plays anyway, other than performed by Catherine Hahn and her daughter's American Girl dolls, because that was a treat and a half. I could watch that like 10 times over. That was pretty good and really super, super creative on everybody's part who was part of that. Uh, and, and again, we're bouncing coast to coast, but on the East Coast now, and this is more straight traditional playwriting, but you have got a really wonderful initiative started by the public theater. It now has 12 sister theaters all around the country, and they have commissioned, gosh, it's got to be 30 or 40 plays now, short plays meant to be performed in the home. Most of them are, you know, they're between uh, the shortest I've read is four pages. The longest I think is 16 or 17, uh, $500 per playwright. I think they've given out something like $30,000 already. Um, and some of them are just wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll just call out one. I mean, it's my favorite of the, of the couple dozen I've read so far by Anna Ziegler, uh, you know, who's really having a moment anyway, right now with the number of new plays that have gone up in the last few years. And she's got one where she's meditating with a child uh, on a play about Alexander the Great. And for her, you know, he's like, well, you know, Alexander's a dude. Why don't you want to write about him continuing on this great journey? And she says, no, you know, what I want to write about is what it's like for somebody who has done all these great things to stop and to pause and to think about whether they really want to go on. Maybe they just want to be still. And I think another thing that we're seeing, and I'm seeing it from playwrights in particular in this moment, who by their nature are less performative in terms of the work that they're doing, they're taking stock and they're slowing down and they're being still. It's reflected in the work that they're doing. I think it will be reflected in the kind of work we see coming out the other end. 
uh, one of those playwrights who I think people on this podcast know I'm a big fan of is Richard Nelson, um, you know, who's written the, you know, the, the, the Apple family plays and the Gabriel plays and now the first Michael play. He writes conversational Chekhovian type plays about a family gathering around a table and talking about life. And the public has also, with him, commissioned uh, a new Apple play. There are four already going back to the midterm elections in 2010. There was one set on the anniversary, the 10th anniversary of um, 9-11, one on the election night in 2012. The new one, which he has written, which is exciting again in terms of going forward, Richard Nelson has written a new play. It's about an hour long, apparently, which again involves the Apple family actors, the same ones that have been in the first four plays gathered together now by Zoom, because there's social distancing in the time of the pandemic, talking about what it's like to live through COVID. Uh, and that is going to be live on the Public Theater's uh, website that goes up uh, this week, uh, last week of April. Um, and this is a man who for a long time has been writing in a way that I think a lot of people are thinking right now, which is again, slower, more reflective, more concerned with us getting to yes, allowing us to be vulnerable, less worried about how we all have to be tough because we live in this cynical, awful moment that, that we're in. It's a beautiful sort of hopeful idea of going forward. And oh, by the way, another way in which we're creating a new kind of art. I mean, for all that most of us are sick of Zoom at this point, there are possibilities with this technology and different ways as we saw with the sign time of allowing us to gather. And I think this play will be one of them. I'm really excited to see it. I want to go back, Mike, just um, for anyone who's listening, who didn't know about that fabulous platform you were describing, which is play at home. Uh, you can find it at playathome.org, And that's where all of those really short plays by um, yeah, there's dozens of them. And I love it because each one's, says this one can be performed by three humans. This one can be performed by two humans. This is for one human. This is for one to 100 humans. And the idea that you can just get together with whoever you are currently cohabitating with and put on a little play and that you know these playwrights have been paid for their work and supported and you and whoever you're living with can create a little bit of art right in your own home and you can do it just for yourselves or you can film it and put it out on the internet and you know tag it with play at home. I think it's such a, an innovative way to support playwrights, keep people connected to theater and really kind of just live, live your mission. And I love that it's a joint effort from so many different regional theater institutions around the country who have pooled their resources to make this happen. It's just, yeah, it, that was on my list as well. I think that's just an incredibly inspiring, um, creative thing that's coming out of this time. Um, Julie, what else has been on your list? Yeah, I, would, I was just going to say, and closer to home, um, I am really enjoying the Milwaukee reps. Um, they, they're calling it Our Home to Your Home. And it's um, uh, playwrights who have written a monologue. Oftentimes, they perform their own monologue. Um, and it's it's short. It's like five minutes. And um, I'm really enjoying that. And the um, there's, there's, um, the, the topics are basically whatever the playwright wants it to be. Um, and I, I enjoy that. I also did stream the play actually, um, that's an Anna Ziegler. Uh, is that right? Yes. Uh, from Renaissance Theater Works. Um, and it was a, it's a two person play, very minimal set. They did it before they could tech. 
um, with Emily Fury Daly and Justin Jones, directed by Mary McDonald Care. And it is a play that that completely worked um, with the two people. Um, and the storytelling is often to the audience. Um, it was a play that lent itself to that format and it and it lent it. Um, it was still as moving, I think, as it um as it could be, um, and and very close to how I think it would be in person. Um, really enjoyed, really enjoyed that that 90 minutes of um of that play. I love yeah, you know, one of those rep uh, I I love what the rep is doing as well in 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 Milwaukee, Julie. And I I particularly want to give a shout out only because it's my favorite of the five uh, monologues that they've put down so far uh, to one called Middleton, um, which is about Chris Middleton, which I am not a Bucks fan. I am not a basketball fan. I, I, it's embarrassing to live in Milwaukee and admit that given how good the Bucks are this year. But it's performed by Lillian Castillo. Um, mm-hmm. The play is by Lloyd Sue. Uh, and it's a sort of short monologue on, you know, what it means in a way that so many of us understand to be a great, in this case, a great, a great player. We don't understand. I don't understand that, but, but somebody who's doing something that all of a sudden is is shut down in the middle of this great moment, which certainly those of us working on the forward play, the amateurs, which was about to to open uh, when the pandemic came, can, can understand the bucks are having this historic season. Chris Middleton's this great player. And it's somebody who's like, wow, I'm not going to be able to go to a bucks game for a long time. But here's this guy who, even though he may not be a quote unquote essential worker, is somebody that I have memories of watching play and who I can think about that helps me get through this time in the same way that we're talking about Sondheim or other performers uh, and artists, memories of whom help us certainly are helping me and sustaining me in, in, in a moment like this. It was pretty special. And if we're going to talk about people who are really stepping it up uh, right now, um, it would be uh, not only remiss, but um, out of character for us to not shout out the incredible efforts that Lauren Gunderson has been making over the last six weeks. She's been doing multiple um, Facebook live events and online playwriting classes and, and, and focusing on all different kinds of issues in the theater and having guest people join her and talking about feminism and trans visibility and writing for young adults and musicals. And I, I swear, I don't know where she finds the time and the energy to do as much as she's doing, um, while also knowing that she's, you know, stuck at home with her two very young children. Um, but it's not surprising to any of us who know her that she has been really um, a leader in, in our industry, I think, in um, creating connection and opportunity and inspiration during all of this. Um, you know, we've always thought she's incredible and, you know, she continues to be incredible. Um, yeah, it really moves me. And I've been, I've been really struck, not just in the um, content and communication that's being created for the public, by all of all of these theater artists and theater companies, but I'm also um, really moved by some of the connections that are being established between theater companies and theater makers around the country as a result of this. In a sense that, you know, there there have been many, you know, dire circumstances or disasters or hurricanes or or you know economic downturns. There have been a lot of different things that have impacted individual theaters or individual regions you know, in, within our lifetimes, but really this is kind of hitting everybody and kind of at the same time. And as a result, 
you know, I've been privileged to get to participate in, you know, TCG, Theater Communications Group, convened a bunch of regional Zoom calls where the leadership of theater companies from a, a region could all jump on a Zoom call together and talk through what's going on. Um, that that call that we did with the Midwest region, I found incredibly useful and that hasn't happened before, you know, and I'm hoping that that becomes a regular thing. Um, wonderful Michael Barakiva, who's the artistic director at, at the Hangar Theater in I believe Ithaca, New York, uh, last week. Uh, reached out to the artistic directors of every SPT, that's a small professional theater, it's a tier within equity um, contracts, reached out to the artistic leadership of all the um, SPT companies around the country and said, hey, we've never really all talked to each other before. And maybe we should because we can help share information about what we're trying and what we're hearing from the different unions. Um, Both of those I thought were really exciting things that haven't happened before that I think could could have incredible long-ranging benefits for our entire industry. You know, we've been um, taking the lead, putting together some calls with all of the um, professional theater companies here in Wisconsin, a chance to talk to each other, um, share ideas, share information. I mean, you know, for the last few weeks, it seems like all of those calls are, and did you get your PPP money? No, did you get your (laughs) PPP money? Um, But I, I just think that this sense of we're all in it together, that a rising tide lifts all boats, and that we're not competing for each other's audiences and resources. We're helping build each other's audiences and resources. I've always believed that. I've always tried to run this company from that point of view, but I, I feel this shift in our industry where I think there's maybe greater belief in that than I've ever sensed before. Um, and as, as much as I, um, would never opt to be in the circumstances that we're in. Anytime you're in a tough situation, all you can do is cling to the hope that you come out of it with some, some benefits, some, some ways of of growing and improving in the future. And I I'm seeing so many hopeful signs that as hard as the road ahead is going to be that we may at the end of it, find ourselves stronger and more connected than we were when we set out on this unwanted journey. Um, there's me getting poetic. To that end, Jen, I, yeah. I completely agree that we're all, people are being really great about, and I'm saying this theater companies throughout the country are being great about, we're going to try this and you're welcome. We'll let you know if it succeeds or fails, but you're welcome to grab it. I mean, I think of that, article that was just in the New York Times about the Barrington State in Pittsfield, Pittsfield Massachusetts, that's um, going to take out rows um, in, their, in their theater and only do one or two person plays and are, and are going through it. And we're all, we're all waiting and hoping, hoping that they're successful. And, and maybe that can be then the, the leader of the, for the next step for all of us to take. And I see such congeniality around these ideas. And here's what we're going to do. And you're welcome to grab our idea. Or if we fail, we'll let you know. And um, that's really heartening to see. Yeah. I think uh, you, you, you see it and uh, you both alluded to this in terms of not just the cooperation between theater companies, but the cooperation between different sectors. 
uh, within the business. I mean, going back to that Apple family play, I mentioned that's going to be happening at the public. You know, there's 25 hours of rehearsal time that's been negotiated with the union for this. That's not like they're just sort of going get, to get on Zoom and wing it. Um, there were rules that had to be worked out um, in terms of the in terms of between Nelson and the public because of the way in which this came together so quickly. A closer to home example uh, and a play which I know is near and dear to the hearts of everybody on this podcast because it was such a shining moment in Forward Theater's history is Fun Home. Uh, Victory Gardens has a sort of archival quality, a really good quality uh, production uh, recording of that that it put together when it did Fun Home two years ago under the direction of Gary Griffin, uh, in my opinion, rightly renowned as one of the best interpreters of Sondheim in the world uh, right now. He was the director. And in no time at all, Victory Gardens reached out to uh, Janine Tesori and Lisa Crone, got their permission, and both of whom said, we will fight for you in making sure this can happen. There had never yet at this point, has never yet at this point been something like this with Fun Home that's been released. Um, they got Gary Griffin and his union uh, involved right away. Actors, Actors Equity got involved. All of the actors are going to be paid uh, for two weeks of work because it, it is going to be a two-week run with the possibility of an extension. The Choreographer Society got involved. Samuel French, uh, you know, gave permission for this to happen. So, you know, it's going forward. I think it's, uh, trying to think of the dates, it's May 6th maybe or May 7th to May 20th or 24th. Uh, and you can only buy as many tickets as there are seats in the theater. We've seen that in other places as well with these kinds of things. But the incredible speed with which, uh, you know, with a very premier piece of work um, that this happened is astounding to me. Um, or, or the generosity that you're seeing from places like the National Theater, you know, with these incredibly valuable properties they have, um, you know, some of the best recordings in the world. Uh, of live theater that they're releasing for free or Stratford Festival, which yesterday, unfortunately, uh, as of when we're laying this down uh, in the last week of April, announced the cancellation of its entire season, uh, is, is going to be putting out 12 uh, of the productions which it sells in its bookstore. I mean, I know, I own them all, uh, but they're going to be out there for free um, at three-week intervals from now through uh, through the fall. That's just unheard of, um, to my mind, on this regular and pervasive a basis within our industry. And it just speaks to, we always talk about how collaborative we are. Now we're actually, we're really seeing it in a way I don't ever recall uh, having seen in all my years in the business. Yeah. Well, Great. we've gone through an extensive list of things uh, that, that we are taking uh, out of the this time and finding joy and hope in. And, um, you know, I think we're going to see more and more and maybe a future episode, you know, early in the summer or midsummer, we'll um, revisit this topic so that we can share, you know, some more examples of just incredible art and generosity that's happening in our field. But for now, um, that is all for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest and America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jen Upoff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, who I'm looking at right now with a calm face, marshalling us forward. Uh, you can follow us uh, or share your thoughts on Facebook uh, or Twitter or Instagram at Forward Theater. As always, folks, with an E-R. We may be collaborative about other things, but we will never be collaborative about that. <laughs> 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. Um, and be sure to leave a stellar review. Remember, also, you can find us at Theater Forward. Yes, we are so grateful to have you listening. And we will be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation.